0: Welcome to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneurs Podcast. My name is Fergal Byrne. Every week, I talk to inspiring social entrepreneurs and changemakers dedicated to building a better world. Here, they tell their stories, the highs and the lows, and share what they have learned to help other social entrepreneurs and changemakers on their journey.
1: We don't move on. I mean, we are working on this dream five years now. I'm thinking about this since more than 12 years now and we believe that we are at the verge of finding a way to do that and still there are so many people telling you it's just impossible so never believe people telling you it's impossible never this might be another characteristic but not not a characteristic of a social entrepreneur but of maybe of an entrepreneur whatever we do we cannot do it or succeed alone never we need partners. We need to network with others. We need partners, we need to learn from partners and we need to build together new solutions. This is absolutely important. We have to fight prejudices and uh, preconceived uh, convictions from many policy makers, many donors, many many stakeholders in our businesses.
0: I'm very pleased today to introduce Eve Marie. Eve is the founder, president, and chief executive officer of Fundacion Capital, an international non-profit social enterprise. Fondation Capital is a pioneer in inclusive finance innovation, helping the poor save, grow and invest their assets, ensure their families against risk and chart a permanent path out of poverty. Today, Fondation Capital reaches 3 million people and it aims to reach 8 million people more in the next few years by expanding access to training, capital and opportunity. Yves is an economist and management engineer from the University of Louvain in Belgium and has more than 25 years experience in international development and poverty reduction. He is a 2014 recipient of the Skoll Award. For social entrepreneurship. I'd like to thank you, Eve, for talking to us today. To inspiring social entrepreneurs, I'd like to just maybe uh, ask you to tell us a little bit about your background and your social entrepreneurial journey.
1: Oh well, thank you, Fergal, for uh, your interest in what we are doing. It's uh, it's a complicated uh, issue and uh, not necessarily the most. Uh, Attractive for um, uh, journalists. So, <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, well, it's it's always difficult to speak about myself. You know, um, I'm I'm uh, as you know, I'm a founder and uh, a chief executive officer of Fondation Capital. It's an international non-profit social enterprise, and we hope it to be a change maker, uh, aiming at massive asset building for the poor. Um, worldwide um if i'm an economist myself a financier i used to be a banker before but the the good the, the good one. i mean <laughs> uh not not uh not the ones we are observing uh, or we've been observing in 2008 yes uh, but yes i i used to um to manage a small business bank in uh, in peru before Uh, aiming at low and very low income population so um, at some point in time uh, I decided that it wasn't enough to serve um, hundreds of thousands uh, customers but I wanted to change the life of millions Uh, and this couldn't be done uh, starting with my own uh, small business bank so I decided to create Fondation Capital and go to scale when it um, when we speak about going to scale, uh, uh, you you will surely agree with me that there are only two ways to go to scale. That is, reaching millions instead of reaching dozens of thousands. Uh, and the first the first way to do that is uh, using market mechanisms uh, in favor of low-income families and the poor. And the other way to do that is. Accompanying uh, national governments in improving their inclusive public policies. Public policies are massive by definition. So um, this is the reason why I decided to create Fondation Capital and uh, and start working. Uh, that was uh, six years ago, approximately. Before that, I've I've been I spent twenty five years in Latin America working on. Uh, financial inclusion issues, micro and small um, enterprises development. And, uh, and before that, I spent almost 10 years in Africa. It's uh, doing more or less the same kind of thing. But uh, as as you can imagine, that was a long time ago. So um, this is what, uh, I don't know if this is what I am, but this is what I was willing to do and that's what we are now doing. And, uh, and I'm quite happy to see that after f- five or six six years of hard work, our work is recognized now by this uh, uh, Scholar Award for Social Entrepreneurship that uh, I just received uh, two weeks ago
0: yes no yes. Suit, so. yes congratulations that must have been a great moment yeah because it's uh, you, you you've been working for for as you say five or six years and inevitably they're the harder hardest years the early years trying to build up a project and get it off the ground and so forth Wh- what was it like at the beginning did you face some challenges getting off the ground
1: well of course but uh first let me let me make a precision uh, uh i'm not a social entrepreneur since uh five or six years uh i've always been i always considered myself as a social entrepreneur and that yes, is
0: yeah
1: I, I was always willing to work for uh public goods or common goods yes know? so um this this might be a difference between a, a pure uh, uh, businessman or entrepreneur and what i've always been doing even when i was a banker uh, And uh, at the same time, I had a private consultancy um, working on financial inclusion issues, and those businesses, of course, were for profit. But the main goal was to create public goods always. Uh, That that's uh, I I think this is this is a story of my life. I've been I've been doing that all my life. But Fondation Capital, yes, started six years ago. So. Oh, in fact, five years ago. Well, six years ago, but formally five years ago. <laughs> Something like that. Formally, I mean, it's been incorporated five years ago, precisely. Yeah. To, to come back to your question, uh, well, the first year is always complicated because um, I had um, several crazy ideas I wanted to implement, and uh, nobody was believing those ideas would work. So uh, at the beginning, I was uh, alone, I mean, just me. <laughs> and then uh, two months ago, uh, I recruited um, uh, a first colleague. He's now our vice president for Latin America. And then a third one, a fourth one, fifth one, and um, and so on. So at the beginning, it's been a bit complicated. But now uh, we are a group of thirty-five uh, economists activists, um, extremely focused and dedicated. So. But, but i i, I cannot I, I cannot say it's been difficult on a, on a, on for monetary reasons. it's been difficult to convince people that our ideas were were feasible that that that's been the most complicated at the beginning because uh, and it's still in in a way it still is because we have to fight prejudices and uh, preconceived uh, convictions from many policymakers, many donors, many many um, stakeholders in our businesses. But by chance, uh, we started working with um, Ford Foundation. Ford Foundation was our first um, uh, financier, first uh, funder, and believed in our crazy ideas. So uh, I have to say that and recognize their seminal work with us. Yes. And they accepted to take risk with us.
0: Right. Right. Obviously, you start off with this sense of financial exclusion. You mentioned you experienced right at the beginning of your career in different ways. Um, how do you characterize the scale of this problem and how important is it in terms of poverty generally?
1: Well, that's, uh, the first part of your question is very easy to answer. and The second one is, uh, requires probably uh, a couple of hours to explain. but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, just to, for you to get an idea of the size of the problem, uh, worldwide, you have 2.5 billion adults unbanked. 2.5 billion adults unbanked. And that's that's unbelievable. Um, that's incredible. And you, you get an idea of the size of the problem. And I say problem because. Uh, uh, because it is a real problem for the poor in particular and low-income uh, families, even middle-income middle families without access to financial services. Um, it's a huge problem and, and and it's a problem because, how can I say that? Uh, I, I don't need to ask you, uh, Fergal, if you have a bank account. You have, or maybe uh, several I don't need to ask you if you're insured. You are insured. I don't need to ask you if you've got several deposit-taking services options available. I don't need to ask you if you've got a magic plastic, uh, uh, different different uh, payment systems and cards. Uh, I don't need to ask you how you receive your um, honorarium or salaries, uh, of course, in the bank account, etc., etc., and how you pay your electricity bill. Uh, if those services are you more than useful, necessary, essential for us, they are essential for the poor also. Uh, this this is uh, it seems to me it's it's it seems to be a, an obvious uh, argument, but it's not for everybody apparently. So um, when I when I'm, when I was saying at the beginning uh, what. Those services that we take for granted, financial services in particular, uh, are equally necessary for the poor. And many people didn't believe that. Many people would tell you, uh, okay, you want the poor to to be able to get access to um, uh, uh, savings accounts. But how come is it possible for them to save if they don't even have money to feed themselves? This is a prejudice, I've personally never seen a poor uh, who wouldn't be saving. If she wouldn't be saving, she would be dead. Even destitute people are saving. Uh, A destitute meeting a loaf of bread in the street, one day would typically eat half of the bread today and keep the other half for tomorrow. And for any uh, financier or economist, this is called savings. So poor people do save. They need to save. If they wouldn't be saving, there would be deep problems, or maybe dead. Uh, it's a risk management issue. But they are not necessarily. Of, of course, they are usually not saving uh, with uh, the financial instruments that we we are using. They save in traditional ways. Uh, uh, a lot of traditional ways. Um, uh, uh, Different, 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 and the same. Finally, all over the world, but uh, they do save having small animals in front of the house, uh, exchanging money with, with the neighbors, uh, uh, pre-buying in bulk some uh, some food, etc., etc. Et when when they got uh, resources, uh, poor people, or, or or just under the mattress, but poor people do save. Yes, indeed
0: yeah yeah and and what is your approach and how is it distinctive from um other organizations
1: well you know i've been part of this um uh, this uh, how can i say that micro credit crowds that was a long time ago <laughs> uh of course i don't need to explain you what's microcredit everybody knows about about micro credit, in particular since um uh, Mohamed Yunus uh, famously said, that was maybe 15 years ago, that uh, microcredit is a human right. Uh, during more than 30, maybe 40 years, uh, governments and donors uh, have been heavily investing in uh, the development of the microcredit industry, believing that credit would be a kind of magic bullet for uh, helping the poor get out of poverty developing their own businesses and uh, and uh, empowering themselves yeah what we've been observing is that first uh, nobody feels empowered when being indebted Uh, if you ever had a credit uh, for buying a house or whatever you feel empowered when you pay the last uh you do the last payment to the bank <laughs> yes yes <laughs> uh, empowerment being being adapted is not uh, the appropriate term but it's been used like that uh and sold like that uh, women in particular poor women are empowered because they got access to microcredit. i don't believe that first second uh credit by definition and uh, here you will uh, excuse me but uh but uh, I'll speak like a banker. But credit is uh, for few people. Credit is not for everybody. Credit is exclusive by definition. Uh, to get access to credit, you need a bankable project. You need a conducive environment. You needs you need a character, uh, at least the adequate character from a banking point point of view, etc. etc. Credit is for few people, but savings is for everybody. And this is all about what's what, uh, what it, it's it's about what uh, uh financial intermediation is i mean uh, the the core business of a bank is precisely that uh, uh, mobilizing deposits from many to give credit to few this is precisely what banking is all about and uh and it's been it should be done like this it's exactly the way it should be done um, now if credit was uh, an appropriate uh, tool for reducing poverty, well a country like Bangladesh for instance, or uh, Bolivia in, in Latin America, to take two examples of um, successful countries, uh, successful microcredit industry uh, in those countries, those two countries would be rich. As far as i remember bangladesh is still a poor country and bolivia is still a poor country so i'm not saying credit is useless of course that'd be stupid i'm saying credit is not a magic bullet to get out of poverty and credit is not for everybody savings yes that's different because savings help you if you're poor or extremely poor monetary savings help you better manage your skills Having a savings account or simple bank accounts help you manage your, your your resources, protect your financial assets. That's extremely different. And um, so, to answer your question again, uh, during during forty years, all the microfinance now microfinance industry, uh, uh, is is uh, has been trying to include the excluded through credit and this does not work so we i'm not the first one in thinking like that i mean uh uh, you've got extraordinary um uh people from the academic world who are saying that since more than 20 years maybe 25 years but we believe that savings is the way to go if you want a, a real financial inclusion process to be initiated yeah. that's completely yeah. different it's a kind of uh copernation revolution uh. I don't
0: know if you say that in English yes but anyway yes a a, a paradigm shift but yes a Copernican Uh, I
1: don't like
0: that paradigm shift because everybody's using it you know yes Copernicus is yeah uh, yeah, (laughs) change the world upside down yeah perception of the world I mean I guess there there are uh, different aspects to this I mean you you mentioned that you know the poor poor people do save um, in different ways so I suppose there's at least one important part of what you do is about education and getting the message across uh, i suppose one as to the, the value of of savings and also I suppose in a way the institutionalization of the savings you know of, of putting your money in some kind of form besides you know under your pillow
1: let, let me first take an example if you if, if you allow me um, when I say poor people do save uh, for instance. Uh, Let's imagine a poor woman with uh, one or two pigs in front of her house. Uh, These pigs are savings. Uh, Let's imagine her kids get sick and needs uh, medicine. Let's imagine the pig is worth $100. I haven't got a clue about the price of a pig, but anyway. Uh, Let's imagine uh, that woman needs $25 for buying medicines. She cannot, she cannot, of course, take apart one leg of the pig. She she, she needs to sell it immediately, uh, in a hurry, probably not for $100, but maybe for $80 or $75, because she's in a hurry. She would typically sell it to a neighbor, and the neighbor typically would tell her, okay, I'll give you today the $25 you need. And... 50 more dollars um, in six months. Bad business. I mean, uh, if that lady would have some money in a bank account, she would just withdraw $25 and that's it. You know, it seems little, but it's huge. It's a huge, a huge help for extremely poor people and poor people. A huge help. So it and it's 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 not only about monetary savings and it's not only about getting progressively access to other kind of financial services starting from a savings account but it's ultimately it's about uh, asset building how can I explain that uh, during well since World War Two, or since forty-five, or since 1950 yeah. uh, most governments when trying to uh, design uh, policies to help poor people were believing that the poor are poor because they lack money if they lack money we need to find a way for them to have more money and uh, finding a way for them to have more money means de- developing Policies based on income. So we need to find ways for them to get more income, and this is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, uh, of course, of course, poor people do need more income. This is obvious, but this is just a small part of the problem. Uh, as Amartya Sen has been famously saying, um, uh, uh, poverty is a trap of low assets and capabilities assets, it's, it's, it's very, very different from income. Uh, uh, just to take an, uh, uh, an analogy, um, uh, income is like a, f- a flow of water, a river passing. And assets is like a pound. If you cannot accumulate assets, you will never, never get out of poverty. And I, when I speak about assets, I don't only speak about financial assets. I also speak about physical assets, productive assets, uh, human assets, education, health, uh, social assets, network, uh, uh, communications capabilities, uh, etc., and uh, natural resources. Also, uh, those five uh, uh, kind of assets are fundamental for the poor to get to find their way, their singular way out of poverty. Uh, and if we insist in financial asset building, it's just it's for a very simple reason. It, it's that financial assets are easily retransformable in other kind of assets: health, education, housing, um, uh, productive assets, etc., etc. That's that's the reason why. It's not only about accumulating uh, financial assets. Of course, it's a key aspect, but not only that one. It's also about uh, better managing your resources, not necessarily accumulating more and more and more resources, financial resources, but better managing your resources, smoothing your consumption level, you know, in time. Uh, when uh, when you, you have uh, uh, one dollar available, you can put that dollar in your account, and when you need that dollar, you can withdraw it from your account. And this is a key aspect of having a, a simple bank account I mean uh, it's as important as accumulating uh, financial assets both things are important so smoothing your consumption level and accumulating financial assets are two uh, important uh, issues when it comes to to banking the end bank finally over this five
0: years where are you today where is the main focus of your activities
1: okay so um, uh, one of the first uh, idea that I wanted to develop uh, uh, six years ago uh, was uh, at the beginning was the following: um, in Latin America, as you as you know, we started working in Latin America first, in, in La- and we all, we already work in fifteen countries in Latin America. So in Latin America alone, you've got seventeen uh, countries uh, with national conditional cash transfer programs. I don't know if you heard about that uh, or you know about what are conditional cash transfer programs. But cash transfer programs are uh, uh, public subsidies transferred usually monthly or bimonthly to uh, the poorest part of the population uh, against uh, a kind of core responsibility that is you need to have your kids in school and you need to have your kids uh, in uh, uh, health uh, posts every six months or something like that. So if you do that, you receive every month a small, uh, a small subsidy from the government. The most important C-conditional cash transfer, CCT, as we say, program is uh, in Latin America worldwide. In fact, is in Brazil. It's called Bolsa Familia. It's quite well known. Or Oportunidades in Mexico. Uh, the first one reaches 16 million uh, families. The second one, 13 million families. Altogether, those programs in Latin America alone reach uh, uh, approximately uh, 25 million families. That's about 110 million people, direct beneficiaries of those programs. So those programs exist, and they do transfer cash subsidies on a monthly basis usually to poor people. So the, the initial idea was to articulate our uh, financial inclusion mechanisms that we have been developing for years, for, for, that have been developing for 20 years, uh, with those massive uh, cash transfer programs. But that, that was easier to think than to do because of course, on paper, this is a fantastic solution because you can reach quickly 25 million beneficiaries. Those beneficiaries were unbanked when we started working. That is, that they, re- they were receiving their subsidy cash in hand in, uh, in, uh, in cash. And now we are convincing government uh, to help uh, them open a bank account and receive their subsidies in a bank account. With financial education, we can help those uh, families get accustomed to the use of a bank account, progressively get access to other financial services, and progressively initiate this long, uh, long uh, road to full financial inclusion. So that was the first idea, uh, linking financial inclusion, and savings mobilization of the poor to massive programs like conditional cash transfer programs and it's all about changing or improving or adjusting public policies of course that was the first idea so uh, now we already banked more than 3.2 million uh, families in latin america we believe in 2016 we will have banked 8 million families and we believe that with appropriate stakeholders and, um, and, uh, partners, uh, uh, working in Africa and Asia, we will bank 30 million families at least, uh, uh, in the coming before 2020, in the coming eight years, uh, seven years, six years, something like that. So, uh. This is massive by definition. And uh, if you compare with, uh, with the results of the microcredit industry, uh, it's, it's far, far better, of course. Yeah. We speak about millions. I mean, uh, Fondation Capital is not interested in helping 10 or 20 or 50,000 people. Uh, this is fantastic for those people, but it's, it, this is not going to change the um, poverty situation in any country. I mean, we need to reach millions. And uh, if we want to make a tent into poverty, we need to speak about big numbers and, uh, and really big numbers, millions or dozens of millions. Uh, if not, it's useless. I mean, uh, if you help 10,000 families and uh, get out of poverty and at the same time, you've got 20,000 uh, families, newly born uh, poor people, so it doesn't change anything.
0: Yeah, I, I mean uh, that is a massive scale. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, how ha- how do you go about having impact so what, on millions?
1: What, what we do basically is we we go and talk with uh, with uh, top level policymakers, us- usually uh, presidents or vice presidents or uh, finance ministers or uh, uh, social development ministers. It depends on countries, but uh, uh, top level policymakers and. Um, and uh, try to convince them that linking banking solutions, financial inclusion solutions with those cash transfer programs is a good solution for everybody. It's of course a win for, uh, it's win, 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 in fact, because it's, it's a win for, uh, for, the, uh, for poor families or for women usually receiving those subsidies because they can better protect and manage those subsidies. Uh, imagine um, when uh, uh, those women were receiving their subsidy in cash uh, just getting out of the bank or uh, the payment organization with the cash in hand let's say $30, 40 $50 uh, you would have the husband immediately trying to, to, to get part of it or, or, or all of it you would get uh, the kid asking for Coca-Cola, you would get the uh, mother-in-law saying don't be bad, give me some of that money because I need it and, uh, and all of a sudden your subsidy would disappear immediately or almost immediately. If you receive that money by bank transfer in your account, nobody knows about it. Nobody knows how much money you have in your account, anonymity is a, is a key factor. Uh, indeed, and uh, and your money is better protected. So it's a win for the family themselves. It's a win for the uh, uh, cash transfer programs because uh, paying by bank transfers to a to a, an account opened in opened in the name of the beneficiary is much much cheaper and much uh, more transparent than any other solutions uh, previously uh, uh, used. Uh, so it's a win for those programs they drastically reduce their um, uh, operative costs it's a win for the uh, banking system because all of a sudden you've got hundreds of millions of dollars uh, getting out of the mattresses into um, the formal financial system so uh, for the banking system it's a win and we prove it with developing business cases uh, uh, for bankers and of course it's a win for the government uh, as a whole because the state in fact as a whole because we help we i believe we we, we really help uh in uh, formalizing the informal economy and as you know in latin america in africa it's a huge problem yeah so win, win 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 situation everybody's winning mm-hmm. this is what we're trying to we are trying to sell to um to governments and policymakers And uh, surprisingly enough, in fact, uh, most of them have been convinced. As I told you, we work in 15 countries in Latin America. We've got 10 formal agreements with national governments. Uh, uh, We are now entering in Africa. We hope to have uh, uh, probably uh, between 20 and and 30 formal agreements with uh, uh, additional governments uh, in the coming three years in Africa and Asia. So... um, this is, this is probably a, a good, uh, well, it proved to be a very good idea.
0: Indeed. Absolutely. It's a huge scale, and the dynamics of winning are very interesting. What about the banks themselves? I mean, banks have been reluctant to work in this sector of the market often fixed costs it's it's not easy to access money in some places and there are all kinds of charges which could quite easily eat into a poor persons uh, savings and things what needs to change there
1: indeed you're right uh, many commercial banks uh, at least 15 or 20 15 10 or even five years ago um were thinking that uh, Low-income families, for not saying poor, uh, are are not a good business because um, because uh, low low balances and uh, uh, few opportunities. So, for some commercial or very commercially oriented banks, it will not be a business anyway. But there are many 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 small business banks and even commercial banks. Now we need to uh, get nearer and nearer to the base of the pyramid. So, uh, so um, uh, if 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 you look at Latin America, for instance, I I don't know from out of ten banks, eight probably are interested in the base of the pyramid, uh, and this is quite new. They, they they understood that this could be effectively a good business. We do work with them, we work with banks to prove them uh, there is a business case there. We help them develop better deposit taking services, we help them develop develop, uh, insurance services, we help them, or at least sell insurance services. We help them understand that uh, it's a massive, interesting and uh, uh, profitable business. It should be, it must be profitable, of course. Is, we want to want this to be sustainable. We want to work in market conditions, and we believe in markets. So uh, even for the poor. So that's the first uh, element of your of your question. We not only work with governments to convince them. We also to convince them, help improve their uh, financial inclusion and globally inclusive fina- uh, public policies, but we also work with banks for them to understand how they could make a business out of those uh, uh, low-income families and uh, it's it implies working on on product design it implies working with uh, uh, the uh, regulator in many countries In many countries of course uh, superintendencies of banks are not necessarily uh, managing the best possible um, uh, banking rules so we help those uh, regulators improve their rules we help them develop the opportunities for bank to have uh, 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 savings account with with no uh, uh, administrative costs low cost savings savings uh, accounts and but but profitable and uh, that's part of the game then, when it comes to access, indeed you're right. Uh, there are many places in, in Africa, Asia, Latin America where uh, you've got you have to walk two days before meeting a bank, a uh, brick and mortar agency, or uh, or it's well for diff- different reasons. It's quite difficult to get to to, to get access to the, to those uh, banking services. This is about to change. This is changing already because for basically two reasons. Uh, You've got banking agents more and more and more in many countries now. And uh, banking agents are everywhere in Latin America, usually uh, in most countries in Latin America. So uh, uh, you don't need any more brick and mortar agency to to get access to to financial services. You've got banking agents. And uh, of course, you've got uh, e-banking. uh, 95, 96, 97 percent of the poor do have uh, mobile phones, and uh, most banks now are developing uh, uh, mobile applications for managing your bank account. So and and man- managing payments. I don't need to to, to tell you about M-Pesa in uh, in Kenya. Everybody knows about it, but uh, those. Payments and uh, bank management uh, programs uh, using mobile applications are now everywhere and it's just the beginning. So uh, so the problem of access is not a problem anymore. Um, This is what I believe, at least I'm I'm convinced that in, I don't know, uh, less than 24 months uh, you, you could buy a smartphone, not only a mobile phone but a smartphone for... Ten dollars, or fifteen dollars, or twenty dollars. That means uh, five dollars second hand. That means two dollars third hand. That means that uh, most of the poor will have smartphones in the coming two years or three years. Uh, this is not a problem anymore. We also work on, on uh, e banking solutions with banks and with uh, regulators and with uh, governments
0: right right That's that's, that's very interesting I, I know somebody I spoke to so there's more mobile phones than people in south Africa um but um yeah definitely the, the next wave uh of financial uh inclusion will have that as as a key part of it i'm sure um just changing gear a little bit you mentioned um really that this isn't your this isn't the beginning of your social entrepreneurial career um and it's kind of been at the heart of what you've been doing uh for for many decades. Um, so what do you think it takes to succeed as a social entrepreneur? And for people who are listening, who, who are at an early stage in their journey, um, what, what kind of qualities or frame of mind and outlook is, do you think is required to improve your chances of, of, of having an impact?
1: Uh, I, I don't know how to, how to answer that. You need to be convinced, of course, this is trivial, but uh, you need to be convinced that... Um, uh, accumulating profit is 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 might well might be a useful tool, but it's not. A, it cannot be a goal. I mean, uh, uh, if you believe that uh, profit is useful, if you reinvest it for uh, public goods, then you are a social entrepreneur by definition. So you need to be convinced. Uh, you need to have fun, <laughs> because if not, it doesn't work. And uh, the, this is the most important, I believe. Never believe people telling you this is impossible. Never. Uh, we are working on a, on a, a project uh, since uh, uh, several years now. And the first phase of this project is ro- already online. It's called littlebigmoney.org. Uh, but it's I, I cannot I cannot explain you uh, at present what we are doing precisely. But I can tell you because it's it's uh, it's not uh, public uh, uh, already. But uh, but uh, I can tell you what's what's the dream behind this new project we are working on, working hard and investing a lot. Uh, the dream is the following: I want to create the first ever stock exchange for the poor's businesses when you say that to any reasonable uh, academic he or she would tell you this is impossible and yes indeed it's impossible for many reasons due diligence, processes, costs, etc they would tell you it's impossible or they would tell you it's useless but that's another story and uh, I believe that if you want to change something globally uh, you need to develop those crazy ideas maybe it, it won't work I don't know but you you cannot satisfy yourself by saying okay I thought about this but uh, into intelligent people told me it's impossible so I forget about it and 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 move on we don't move on I mean we are working on this on this dream since uh five years now and uh, i'm thinking about this since more than 12 years now and we believe that we are at the verge of finding a way to do that Uh, and still there are so many people telling you it's just impossible so never believe people telling you it's impossible never this might be another characteristic but not, not a characteristic of a social entrepreneur but of maybe of just, just an entrepreneur. Yes, yes. Well, I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, I. So dreaming big, having big ideas. Um,
1: but dreaming, dreaming, but not not dreaming. You know, like uh, dreaming with your two feet on the ground. I mean, we dream, but we we've got big dreams, but we are practical people. I mean. Uh, we try to find practical solutions for those dreams to to be to be feasible at some point in time. I mean, it's not about dreaming for dreaming, you know. Uh, uh.
0: But it's a difficult thing, isn't it, for somebody to know? Uh, am I? How? You know, uh, uh, until a particular moment in time it 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 could seem impossible and then suddenly it it happens and everybody you know retrospectively it all looks very different and i guess for a social entrepreneur to to have with an you know an idea with a big idea with a big vision um and everybody saying it's not possible um it's hard to know whether or not it is really impossible <laughs> or whether oh, yeah. they're being unrealistic or whether or whether if they keep going that in some manner or form they will see it their vision realized
1: you, you know there are so so many so many uh, funny stories about about uh, about that kind of thing i mean uh, you remember i don't remember his name but it it was uh, an ex uh, ceo of ibm saying uh, Micro uh, uh, microcomputer will never never find the market. It will never exist. That was 40, 40 years ago, uh, <laughs> and and well, some people in in their garage wanted to do this, and they did it, and they changed the world in a way, uh, in several ways, in fact. Uh, but 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 dreaming is not necessarily you know when I. When, I, when I'm telling you that we are dreaming big and uh, with our heads in the stars but our feet on the ground uh, it's not necessarily about big, big, big dreams like the one I told you first stock exchange for the poor uh, it might be f- smaller things uh, uh, just uh, you know uh, I don't know all old you are fergal uh, but um, Uh, I'm old enough to remember that uh, when I was a young consultant uh, and I had to travel, uh, I had to carry my my luggage, my my suitcase, uh, because nobody thought before that it was possible to put wheels under the suitcase. And this is a recent uh, invention or innovation. I mean, uh, wheels exist and suitcases exist since so many years and nobody thought before that it was interesting to put wheels under suitcases. And it changed definitely the way to travel, didn't it? Absolutely. And uh, this is also innovation. Innovation is not necessarily inventing from scratch everything, it's sometimes recombining, re articulating existing mechanisms and things in order for them to work better and drastically better. Maybe one more thing uh, never believe people telling you it's impossible. Well, this is, again, it might be trivial, but. Uh, try to, whatever you think, think different. Uh, try to, try to think different from what you think. I mean, uh, I believe this is like this. I believe something is like this. Why if it be different? Why if I would change it completely? Why, why, why if you, you remember, you know, the, um, how it's called uh, the, um, Fosbury flop. Do you know about the Fosbury flop? Yes. Okay. Well, in 1968, as far as I remember, uh, this uh, young athlete, uh, Dick Fosbury, uh, at the Mexico Olympics, decided uh, that it was a better a better way to jump, jumping back to the bar, and uh, he thought absolutely the contrary of what everybody was thinking at that time. And uh, he invented the Fosbury flop and everybody knows is jumping using the Fosbury flop technology, uh, methodology, uh, method. So it um, changed different. It changed, he thinks different all of a sudden.
0: Yes, absolutely. And when somebody broke the four-minute mile, uh, and again and again when people do something uh, see an obstacle or a boundary then it suddenly realize that it was maybe an obstacle or a boundary in the mind in our in our absolutely. mind absolutely
1: yeah. well, absolutely and, and prejudices i mean many 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 people still believe for instance the poor do not save that's yeah. crazy there are, there are hundreds of, of, of academic studies there are thousands of empirical evidences but they still believe the poor do not save that's hard to to believe but it's like that
0: well clearly the work that you're doing will have a big impact on hopefully changing that particular viewpoint and I'd like to wish you the very best with Fundacion Capital and thank you very very much
1: may I add something thank you
0: for your time
1: Uh, whatever we do we cannot do it or or succeed alone uh never we need partners we need to network with others and uh, well maybe this might be a message for uh, whoever is willing to listen to us later on but uh, we always need partners whatever you do is uh, you cannot succeed alone never we need partners we need to learn from partners. Thank you and we for need to listening to the Inspiring Social Entrepreneur podcast. I hope you important. found
0: this interview insightful. This is part of to the visit solution www. being the inspiring change, social We want the world but doing it together. And I subscribe know, thank you to make sure you don't miss any future podcasts.